Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. I'm here with John. Today we're going to be talking to another John. Yes. Yes, Craig is not here, so we had to have two Johns, but we're going to talk to a, a gentleman and he is just a guy in the pew. When you think about that, just a guy in the pew. Well, I want to know, is he just a guy in the pew? Or was he just a guy in the pew and now he's more? <laughs> Can just a guy in the pew be more than just a guy in the pew? I don't know. I want to, I think there's going to be, and that's just, that's just one little part of it. I think what we're really going to hear is some things um, that are, that we're going to talk a little bit about men. We're going to talk about how important the whole family, men, women, children are. Um, we're going to talk about vulnerability. I think we're going to hear a little bit about that. And then we're going to hear how leadership. So like frequently those mm-hmm. feel like they're opposed, but mm-hmm. they're really not. John will clear that up for us. And some of you may have heard of John Edwards. John Edwards has a podcast out there. So if you are a podcast aficionado, like a number of us, you probably have heard of um, John Edwards and he is just a guy in the pew. Um, and that's his uh, that's his podcast handle. It's also his website, justaguyinthepew.com. So, John, welcome into the family room. We are thankful that you are here with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you and just excited to spend some time in the family room with you. Thank you. So, John, as we mentioned, we usually open with prayer. I'm going to ask Craig. Uh, Craig, you're not Craig. He's not even here. We could ask Craig. It's going to be hard to hear him. <laughs> I'm gonna ask, but God hears all. He does. I'm going to ask John to go ahead and open us up in prayer, and then we'll uh, tell our listeners more about you as well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, Amen. we just come to you today with thanks and praise, and we are so often in awe of the fact that your incredible desire is for us to be with you no matter what. Obstacles, um, just strange situations, difficult situations, suffering, things that just don't make any sense at all, all through all of that, you call. And we are grateful for that. And we ask you, Lord, that someone listening today, people listening today, are probably aching for that call or aching to understand just how powerful your desire for us is. And we would just ask that you would open our minds and our hearts during this time together and make the message that John shares with us uh, a touching message that, that just shouts out for all of us that incredible desire you have for the love of our souls and the, and the love of us through eternity. Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, as we said, we've got John Edwards, just a guy in the pew. He's joining us here from Memphis today. Uh, John, would you tell us more about our guest, John? Yes. So, John is a convert. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've had lots of converts. John is a husband. And I think John would be mad at me if I didn't stop there and say, John is a husband and Angela is his spouse. <laughs> and that is a like the pinnacle of what's going on in, in the bio for John Edwards. Yep. Then he is a father. And he again would challenge me to stop at that and say, I, he is the father of three awesome kids, Caitlin, Allison, and Jacob. I think I got those right. I will not venture a guess at ages, but, <laughs> but, but, but those are the three things 
the three children and his spouse that he finds most important. He's also the president at Pew Ministries. Um, he's a founder of a virtual Catholic conference, LLC. He's a host of Just a Guy in the Pew podcast. And so we're going to just stop talking about John and let John talk to us. So, John, thanks for being <laughs> with us today. This is, we are truly excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to be with you and excited to be coming to your area here in a few weeks. That's right. I'm just uh, excited all around. Yeah. <laughs> so you will be in Transfiguration Parish, I think, on August 11th and 12th, correct? Yes, sir. We're going to be doing our restored parish mission there and helping them launch a men's group. Uh, there in the parish and just been working with that team for a while now for many months and uh, they've just been doing a fantastic job they sent an email a little bit ago and I think they've got over 300 people registered already and uh, just excited to be there and and to do the Lord's work and to meet so many new friends there's talking about setting up a men's group but this isn't just for men right it's as as you pointed out or we pointed out in your bio you know there's a family and, and there's so it's men women but go back, if you would. I think our, our the question we were talking about right before we started the show is like, you chose this title, Just a Guy in the Pew. And I mean, I, I know it's a little tongue-in-cheek in the introduction, but I really did wonder. Mari and I both asked the same question of each other. I wonder why he chose that. Tell us about why you chose that and, and where that's taken you. God chose it, actually, because <laughs> it came to mind pretty quickly when, when uh, I was asked to do a podcast. But... Uh, you know, after my conversion or reversion, I should say, I should say, actually, after I really started to become Catholic after 11 years of being Catholic and not being Catholic, mm. uh, if that makes sense, it does. Living the faith is what I'm. It was what I mean. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was. You know, had a priest take me under his wing, and uh, and one of the things that he asked me to do was to come to daily mass at the lector every day. I'm I'm six foot eight, so I'm a tall mm-hmm. guy, and uh, every day at daily mass, I would come down from the ambo. And, you know, be in the front row where the lector normally sits or, or resides or in mass. And, you know, I stuck out like a sore thumb. Normally at the 815 daily mass, there was a mostly retired folks. And there was me. Uh, who's, I'm 44. I was 37 then. But in the pew and uh, next thing you know, every day as I was praying after mass, I would hear footsteps walking up and, and they would eventually stop with me right at me. I could almost count them like three, two, one. And then there would be a shoulder tap. And I would look up and say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. And they'd say, young man, are you in the seminary? Or young man, are you in the diaconate? And I'd say, no, I'm just a guy in the pew. <laughs> and so that's that's where that would come from. And then I had a deacon here locally that's got a, uh, a show on EWTN radio and a podcast called The Catholic Cafe, Deacon Jeff Drzemski. And I was in his Crescio group after I made Crescio and uh, after things changed in my life. And uh, after hearing what he what we were doing with men and the group that I started at my parish, I'm sure we'll get into all that. But mm-hmm. um, he yeah. said, "You need to do what you're doing for more people. I want to build you a podcast." And I said, "Man, get out of here! I don't know anything about that, and I have no idea how to do anything." He goes, "Look, I, I beg to differ. I think you should try this, and I want to help you build it. What would you call it?" And immediately I said, "Well, I'm just a guy in the pew." <laughs> and so that's where all that that stuff kind of happened. And the name wasn't ever about me. I mean, yes, that's me on the logo sitting there with my arms out and looking at the crucifix. But it was always about men and the fact that we have a lot of guys that are just sitting in pews. And mm-hmm. that's the extent of their faith. You know, they're going to mass so they don't argue with their wife or so their kids will have some semblance of morality or whatever, you know, the, the excuse may be. But there's so many of those men, every one of those men can be so much more than just a guy in the pew. And so the hope was always that people wouldn't just see it as me. They would see it as, as the potential for themselves to be more than what they currently are. Yeah. 
That's great. You know, and we're going to, we'll get in deeper into what kind of topics you cover on your podcast, kind of what people's sure. appetites to go and listen. I know I've listened to a number of your shows and um, there's a good variety there and, and get you thinking in new and different ways, which is great too. And I'm not a guy in the pew, I'm a gal in the pew and I still got a lot of sure. it. So we'll just invite everybody to that. <laughs> but um, sure, I actually had t-shirts made up one time. It was just a gal in the pew and had the girl in the there you go um so we too typically ask our listeners to tell us a little bit about their faith journey and you have had quite a faith journey because as you said you were a convert and then you were a revert not many people can say they were both a convert and then a revert but god got a hold of you and um and obviously there were some big things he had planned for you because the, I think the evil one was tugging the other direction. And I think that's part of the story. I know you'll share at Transfiguration, but our, our family room listeners are, are um, blessed enough that they get a sneak peek at, at, yes. at getting to hear about your story. So would you go ahead and share with us um, your faith journey? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a long story, so I'll try to condense it for our for the purposes we have here today. But <laughs> Um, you know, I was born and raised here in Memphis, you know, I still live here, uh, love, love the city. It's got a lot of crazy stuff going on at these days, but mm. it's a, it's a wonderful place. And I was born and raised Baptist in Midtown Memphis. Both of my parents were from Mississippi and moved up here for work and lived here 40 years before they moved back, uh, to Mississippi to where they were from. But uh, from a young age, my parents had us in church and I was born and raised Baptist. I love the faith. I was going to uh, vacation Bible schools and, church camps and just even, you know, now I have Sunday school teachers that, that'll come up that I'll see out places that, that, uh, it said, you know, I always knew God was going to do something with you. I have memories of you helping children decide whether or not they wanted to become baptized when you were eight years old. And so there was just a love for the faith and for Jesus. And, uh, it was that way in my life until I was 18. Uh, at 18, a lot of the folks that I grew up with, uh, we had a wonderful, you know, group of young people that grew up from, we were in diapers until 18, the end of that youth group. And a lot of them moved away to go to college, went off to, you know, the SEC schools their parents went to. And uh, so I I decided to stay in Memphis. I was working at Napa Auto Parts at the time, which headquartered in Atlanta. I've been there many times with them over 23 years of that career. But um, yeah, I just, I was alone for the first time in my life. And my, my Baptist church didn't have a young adult group. It was the next one up was my parents' age, and uh, you can imagine an 18-year-old not wanting to go to Sunday school with his parents. So um, really, at that time, I enrolled in the University of Memphis, I went to spend a year or so there going to class every day, making good grades, going to work school, work school, work school, and um, and I just was lonely. Uh, it was the first time in my life I didn't have community, and mm. uh, I reached out to a guy that was there at the university, one person I did know. He'd actually gone to my church, and had been in my high school. He was three years older than me, and every time I made a new transition, he always helped. So I thought, well, I'll try to call him and see what he's got going on. Well, he was the rush chairman of a fraternity. He told me to come out and rush it, and I did. I got in, and uh, after I was initiated, that was the last uh, time I went to church for about 11 years of my life. Mm. Uh, I just got into partying and drinking and drugs and women and everything else, and before you knew it, I made wrong choice after wrong choice. I was Moving up in my job in Apple Auto Parts, I became an outside salesman and was making, you know, well over six figures a year before I was 25 and had all the money in the world. And But, uh, man, just got involved in a lot of addictions, you know, pornography, drugs, alcohol, everything, and made a bad decision in my life one time to do cocaine one night. And uh, that decision 
became an addiction and it followed me for 17 years of my life mm-hmm. uh, through marriage and the birth of my children, through my job, through everything. Uh, Angela was Catholic and I met her in a bar many years after I'd started uh, this addiction. You know, I think I was 26 or 27 when we when we ran into each other. I knew her in college. She had dated one of my best friends for many years, thought they were going to get married and that didn't happen. And, and we ran into each other and uh, to my surprise wound up, uh, she was interested in me and uh, we wound up talking that night and then dating and uh, a year later we were married. But she told me along the way that the man she was going to marry was going to be Catholic and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to church, and I love her, and she loves me, and so, you know, I think I'm the man for the job, and I went to the nearest RCA class and signed right up, and she really gave up my faith. I didn't practice anymore for hers, and, uh, but I never took it into my, into my life, you know. I never really, right. I just did it to marry her, you know, and, um, and it wasn't, wasn't long before I realized the addictions that I had were not going to stop. I, I thought that you know, they would automatically stop, that life would happen, and I would just grow up and put childish things away. But it didn't happen when I got married. Uh, it certainly didn't happen when she told me that we were pregnant with Jacob. Um, you know, Jacob's now 13 and a healthy boy, but I, I was worried about that, obviously, because of the drugs. Uh, I wanted to tell Angela the truth of my life, but I, I didn't want her to leave, and I didn't want her to take everything, the you know, the house, the car, the kids, everything. I mean, and probably in that time, I would have put those things in that order because I was selfish. And mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing about addictions. When you, when you have those things, you, you, they just prey on the innate selfishness we all have. And uh, I found myself, you know, it was my money, my house, my this, my that. I was not a good husband to Angela. I was never violent, but was definitely um, verbally abusive and uh, just just was a terrible person. Uh, my mother died not long after Jacob was born of cancer, and uh, I was not mature, as you could imagine, and didn't handle that well. I blamed God, told him I hated him, and I would never love him or worship him again, and I quit going to Mass altogether in church and um, just went into deeper into the drugs and the alcohol. Uh, right before that happened, Angela came to me uh, and told me that uh, we were pregnant, and then we shortly found out after that that it was with twins mm-hmm. so caitlin and allison are actually the same age they're identical twin girls that are 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily they came out healthy but uh yeah i just went deeper and deeper into things and was staying up every night doing line after line of cocaine i was johnny on the spot at work everybody all my customers and right at work thought i was this this guy that had the, the world by the tail the tiger by the tail and uh had the house the car the money the beautiful wife the kids the pit, white picket fence everything you're supposed to have but I was a broken mess inside. Mm, so right on the surface, it looked like you had everything going for you. So listeners, if you were just tuning in, you were here in the family room, and we are speaking with John Edwards, just a guy in the pew. Um, so, John, we don't want to stop that story because obviously everybody's on the edge of their seat going, okay, so how did you get from there what? to here, right? Yeah, what what started to happen? Transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a lot of things. So, uh, you know, I, work became very stressful. I was a 100% commission sales guy. Mm. Um, I picked up a lot of big customers in in Memphis, and, and uh, there's a lot of stress that came with that. And so Angela and I were like ships passing in the night. She would deal with the kids, put them to bed, and then I'd sit up and drink 20 beers a night and, and you know, and just do $40 worth of cocaine a night. And mm. so one night I got up, it was about two in the morning and I went back to bed and I was just thinking, okay, well, it's going to be an hour before I go to sleep at least just because, you know, it's hard to sleep on, on cocaine. But for some reason I fell asleep quickly. I woke up quickly too. My heart was beating out of my chest and 
uh, I thought I was, this was it. I was going to die. And I fell out of the bed. I crawled to the bathroom. I uh, tried to catch my breath. I, I, you know, wanted to call out to Angela, but I, I just, I was a coward. And I knew that if she would figure out what was wrong with me, she'd call an ambulance and they'd figure it out and then she would leave. And so I thought, well, I'd rather just die here mm. on this bathroom floor uh, than admit what I've done. And it's probably better for everybody anyway. But I grabbed the towel. I put it over my face. I tried to muffle my breath and and uh, I realized I was having a panic attack. So my breathing slowed. I went back into bed, laid down, said I was going to quit. Threw out the drugs, but by 4 o'clock the next day, I was back behind them again, doing the same thing. Two in the morning, same scene, get up, go to bed, wake up quickly. Same mm-hmm. same thing happened. Heart beating out of my chest, wound up in the bathroom and realized, okay, I've I got to do something different. I, I wanted to call out the God, but I was angry at him. I was mad at him uh, about my mother and everything else and so I, I i was stubborn and selfish and i wouldn't reach out to him so i wound up thinking you know what all i want to do is tell people the truth and there's a men's conference coming up in memphis and i don't know too much about being catholic even though i've been catholic 11 years but i know there's a thing called confession and i can go in there and tell the truth uh and he can't tell anybody hmm. so i went to that that uh, conference <laughs> and i did just that and shared my sins with the priest and he gave me absolution, and I thought I was going to change my life for about four days. That following week was Holy Week, and I made it four days to Holy Thursday. And then I wound up, uh, you know, something happened. I had a big sale at work, and I thought I'll I'll celebrate. And for me, that meant picking up cocaine. So I stopped by this house, and the police happened to be watching the house that day. And before you knew it, I was in the back of a Tahoe on the way downtown and in, uh, in Memphis uh, to the jail. Hmm. And I had to call my wife, tell her what was going on, and. She was not happy, as you can imagine, basically told me I could rot in there. And um, I spent, you know, good all of Holy Thursday and Good Friday in jail. And mm-hmm. in that jail cell, Jesus showed up. I, I just I started to have that panic attack again and thought, no, 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 I've lost everything. And I'm going to lose everything. And everybody's going to know. And everybody's going to know. And then I just felt this peace come over me in a moment. And it was just a peace I shouldn't have had. And I heard from my own soul, you know, these words come out and just out of my own mouth was, at least I don't have to lie anymore. Hmm. You know, at least now everybody will know who I am. And it was like the weight of the world fell off of me. And I just kept thinking, how did I get here? And the next thing you know, Jesus just showed up. And, and, you know, I was like, it was the day that I quit going to church. It's the day that I walked away from Jesus Christ. And so I hit my knees and I didn't even, it had been so long since I talked to him and I didn't even know where to begin. And I just started pouring myself out and saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. And all I want to do is be a a good husband and father, and please just don't let Angela leave me. I, I don't know how to be better, but look at where I got myself on my own. If you'll just give me another chance, I'll, I'll give you my life. I don't even know if you want it. I don't know if it's worth anything, but it's yours. I, I give up. I, I give up. I can't do this anymore on my own. And he showed up, and he took me that day back through the young man I had been and, and how many people that I had helped as a young person and the joy that I had in my life. And it had been so long since I had any joy at all. The drugs were fleeting. The happiness that came with that was few and far between. And 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 I just, he showed me all that and he gave me mercy. And my wife showed up in the jail that day and told me she wasn't going to divorce me, but uh, I couldn't come home. I, I went down to my dad's for Easter. I came out of jail on Good Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, went down to my dad's, went to mass down there at a church and had a pastor come up to me who I had briefly met one time five years previously and told me everything was going to be all right. Wow. I had no idea how he knew. And uh, I went out to the car and said, I'm going to make my mind up to be a better man. And so I went back to Memphis. I went to court and, uh, you know, faced the music there, got on a diversion program. And after a year of drug tests and 
showing up for my parole hearings. It was, you know, wiped off my record. Uh, in the midst of that, I checked myself voluntarily into, into rehab. My wife let me come home, and I read a book Father Larry Richards had given me uh, five years early at a conference that my father-in-law drugged me to that obviously didn't last. But uh, I read that book, Be a Man, from cover to cover that night and decided I was going to change my life. And in that first year, I read 45 Catholic books or so and started going to daily Mass, had that priest take me under his wing. And before you knew it, I was the one leading my family to Mass, and I was the one praying every day and teaching our kids the faith. And and trying to prove to my wife that I was going to be different. And that was a very long healing journey that we'll talk about on the weekend, but uh, when I'm at Transfiguration. But yeah, that's really the story. And, and I started looking at those things and saying, I can't be the only one who struggles. I can't be the only man that's got all this stuff going on. And so a year later, I went back to that men's conference ready to receive. And uh, there was a guy there that uh, had also not been to confession for like 20 years, and he went. And he was going nuts, and he was telling everybody his sins, and he's like, oh, my gosh. And next thing you know, he's like, why am I acting like this? And I told him he'd had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and he didn't know. He's like, what is that? I'm cradle Catholic. I know God. I know Jesus. But all those first things felt the Holy Spirit. So he convinced me to take him to dinner one night. And I asked the Lord, I said, all right, I I don't know why you got me doing this, but if you want me to do this, help me. And next thing you know, I had eight pages of the Holy Spirit written down, and all of that Baptist reading the Bible 15 times before I was 18 years old started coming back and I could quote scripture again and all of this stuff just happened. And I sat with him, I met with him and I told him everything. And he said, wow, it's amazing. You should start a men's group. And I thought, nope, that's it. Like, nope. End of transaction. I did what I said I would do. You know about the Holy spirit. Thank you. You know, check please. See you never. And, and uh, he's like, why do you always tell me? No, you, you didn't want to do this. And, and I had not told anybody in my life what happened, and the Spirit convicted me. And I said, Jay, I was arrested on a felony charge of cocaine last year. I'm not your guy. And mm-hmm. he goes, wow, that's amazing. You should start a men's group, which I completely did not think would be his reaction. <laughs> I, he would be the one saying, Ooh, well, maybe. He's a, yeah, I was like, are you on drugs? Right? Maybe we should drug test you. You just got to hear what I said. How's your hearing? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He convinced me, too. And a week later, we called 30 men in together in my parish, and uh, we didn't tell them why we were meeting. And my parents had a great men's club. We drank beer and raised money and cooked barbecue and paid for kids' jerseys. And all that. we have a school attached to our parish. And we had a Knights Columbus Council with about 180 men on the thing, but four of them showing up to do anything. So there wasn't a lot of spiritual things going on for men. And uh, we called those men together. I walked in a room and, and basically stood up in front of them all and said, look, I know you didn't know why you were here, but uh, we have a good men's group but, club, but we never talk about Jesus. And let me tell you what can happen in your life when that's the case. And I went blah. And I told him every gory detail. I was crying, ugly, snot crying, all this stuff, and and just came to the end of it. And I said, look, I can't be the only one who's broken. I think we need something spiritual for men. And I sat down like a sack of potatoes, and one by one, every man in that room stood up and started sharing their brokenness. Some guys said, I'm divorced, and or I'm getting divorced, and you don't know it. I'm addicted to porn, and my wife's leaving. Other guys said, I've been in a hotel room. I have nine kids. I've had a case of beer today. Uh, my work thinks I'm at home sick. My wife thinks I'm at work, but I'm drunk. And I Ubered here because when we get together as men, all we do up here is drink. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, hey, I don't want to drink alone. I'll come and drink with others. Another man just you talking about how he was uh, addicted to other sorts of, of opioids and things like that. And God showed me the power of vulnerability in a man's life that day. Um, you know, St. Paul talks about this. He's got the, the thorn in his side. And Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and he says to God, he asked him three times to take it out. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And St. Paul gets to understand that. 
And he's going, wow, like this, this isn't all about my strength and doing this on my own and white knuckling the steering wheel in my life. Like so many men have told me all of my life, right? Don't have emotions. Don't have a feeling. Mm-hmm. Don't have, don't have cares or concerns. Be a man, put your head down, work hard, never complain, be a one man army. But look where that gets us. Mm-hmm. We bottle it all up. Uh, we, we, we try to do it all ourselves and it's coming out one way or another, either in, in, in virtue and holiness and, and, and with Jesus, or it's coming out with vice in the other way. And, Certainly that's what had happened in my life, but that was the night that God showed me the true vulnerability and strength mm. is, is power is made perfect in weakness, yeah. admitting that we need God and that his strength becomes ours and we can let go of that, what, that steering wheel of our life and realize that we probably have arthritis, that we've been white knuckling it so much in our life, but we don't have to, that God wants to be that source of strength in our life. And so from that night on, we started meeting in that men's group and for seven years now, we've met every Wednesday night. We had 14 men become Catholic in the first three years, just walking mm-hmm. in and just because they found a place where they could be real and where they could be authentic. And they came into a real relationship with Jesus and each other. Mm, that's incredible. We, we're going to talk um, just about why you chose the men's ministry and stuff when we come back from our break. But it, it just is you as I listen to what you talk about, all the things that God wires into a man to make him a good leader, a reliable husband to make him the warrior, the hunter, whatever those roles in the, in the best possible light uh, are, all those things, all those gifts are the same things that burden us when, when they're not used directly, when we are not in touch with our creator. It's just so easy to take the wrong step. It's, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you're going to share as we talk about you know, why you reach out to men and how you reach out to men. And maybe even some, some of these, some of just the great stories and the great things that have, that have come to pass. Yeah. Uh, from that. You know, and when I, one of the things that I love about your story that the, the verse keeps coming back to me that, you know, God, nothing is wasted, you know, that God wastes nothing. And I was just thinking about your life and how he took all of those years of being Baptist, right. And being in the word and learning the Bible so thoroughly and experiencing the Holy spirit in very different ways than sometimes we experience him here in the, in the Catholic church. Um, although that is changing and mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot more mm-hmm. really cool things happening there, but, um, that he took all of that. And then he, he even took an addictive personality. I mean, seriously, John, the, as you describe it, right. Just like our John here just said, the things that, that can be a strength that God could use as a strength that in his power become perfect. Um, when they're not used for in his power and for his glory, they, they send you down the wrong road, but even your addictive personality, I can see how God is using that because it takes that same like level. Like you said, you read like 40 Catholic books in the same year. You know, that is just, you know, that behavior, you're on fire with the Holy Spirit, but he's also taken part of who you are and what makes you so uniquely, wonderfully the beloved son of our father and used it for for these wonderful reasons. So we're heading to break right now. Listeners, if you will stay tuned, just be back with us here in the next few minutes with John Edwards, Just a Guy in the Pew. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on the Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Healthcare providers should care about health, right? Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's healthcare services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not healthcare. Abortion kills. 
Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States with 700 abortion facilities. And in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C. Why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. We're back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. Right here on AM 1160, The Quest. We're here with John Edwards. He's just a guy in the pew. John, thanks for being with us. Thanks for sharing your story. It takes work to be honest and, and vulnerable like that, and we're grateful for uh, for the edification. We have a tradition, John. Everybody that visits the family room tells us at this point in the show what one of their favorite family room memories is. Tell us one of your favorite family room memories. Oh, man, there's a bunch of them. That's good. <laughs> but I think the first one that comes to mind would be when Angela let me come home, um, mm-hmm. you know, that Monday after Easter. We, our old house, uh, the family room was in the back, you know, so we came in from the driveway and walked into the back door. And when my dad had taken me home the night he picked me up from jail, I had opened that door. Angela had gone to her parents' house with the children. And so I opened that door in, into a dark, empty house, and it was just very painful in that moment. But when Angela let me come home, um, and I opened that back door and the children were there. Um, and I hit my knees and they, you know, they, uh, it was like WrestleMania, you know, all <laughs> three of them just grabbed me. And like, you know, Allison had asked Angela, you know, if, if I was dead at three years old, she said to daddy dead cause she hadn't seen me in days. Mm-hmm. And so when I hit the, that back, that door and into that den and I hit my knees and I just realized how much I had, 
I had squandered um, in that time in my life and just that God was actually giving me a second chance. I mean, she had to pry those children out of my arms, um, you know, when it was time for them to go to bed. I just had all three of them, and, <laughs> and it was just, it was the most grateful I've ever been in my life. And I'll just never forget what it was like to see their faces and to, to experience the love that I felt in that moment and just the mercy of God in that moment. So that's probably my favorite moment, even though it may not seem like it would be a favorite to some, but like just just to have my children in my arms again and know that, that there was at least a shot that everything was going to be all right was one of my favorite memories. Mm. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you thank that. you. Yeah. And thank you for sharing the hope that comes from that memory as well, because I'm sure there are other people out there who are listening who feel like um, there is not hope for them. Um, that they can't get back what they squandered. and um, But with God, all things are possible. And I think your story yeah. was so very clear that once you let go, like you said so well, you you stopped white-knuckling the steering wheel and you let go and you let him take over and you went to your knees first and you died to self. I mean, I think there is no, um, you know, God, God does not do anything um, without perfect timing and the perfect timing of, you know, you went on, on Good Friday and uh, you did die yeah. to who John Edwards was. And then that God gave you that opportunity to um, have a resurrection yeah. experience, right? Yeah. And pretty amazing. Yeah. So John, th- this might lead us down to, to some more conversation about why you've chosen a men's ministry. But as I listen to, you know, your story, I've thought for a long time that one of the devil's most powerful tools is to plant in our minds, particularly as men, that we are the only ones in the world that have the problem that we have. Mm. And you could never speak it because everybody else in the room is so close to flawless, especially by comparison to you, that you just cannot reach out. Hey, does that resonate? with kind of what you see, and then how does that tie sure. into why you think a men's ministry is, is kind of important? First of all, you're absolutely right. I mean, everybody thinks they're the worst person in the world. I mean, I say this often in, in one of the talks at the at the weekend uh, in Transfiguration at the, at the mission is about identity and restoring your identity and getting rid of those things. Most of us are convicted of our shame, right? And we're by our shame and our mistakes and our failures, and we think that we're nothing more than the sum of those things, and that's all we'll ever be but it's a lie. Mm-hmm. And the devil certainly does that to isolate you. You're easier to pick off. You know, it's like he's sitting up there with a sniper rifle and he's just waiting to take everybody out one by one. And if he can convince you that basically you're unusable, that you're unlovable, that you're unforgivable, and you believe those things, and guess what? He takes you off the board. It's like a chess piece. It just, it's like taking the queen off the board, the most powerful piece. And I really believe, no disrespect to women at all, but I think men are the most powerful board pieces on the board, not you know, because of stature or anything like that, but because God created all of us as men to be the spiritual leaders of, of the church and of the family. And when you look at those things, you can see uh, there's all kind of polls out there where when men are leading the family, 93% of the, of the family members stay Catholic. Mm-hmm. When men, 93% of the time, when men aren't leading the family and it's just the wife, that number drops to 17%. When it's just children, it's like 3.5%. And you can see the vital role of, of the husband, of the father mm-hmm. in that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it looks like, you know, women are, are basically the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. So when children are young, they're so attached to their mother and they stay that way into their middle teens, right? It's mom, 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 mom. But at some point when they start going, okay, 
I'm getting, I'm growing older. I'm going to go to college or my, I'm going to have to be an adult at some point. They start to look at the, at the dad for, you know, for whatever reason that is, they start to look at the father. And if the father is not active in the faith, if the father is just a workaholic, if the father's never around, it's like two hands that are supposed to be coming together and the fingers that are supposed to interlock to make this bridge for the children to continue to move and grow into the faith. If the father, if that hand that is the father quits moving mm-hmm. and never connects with the hand that is the mother, then there's a gap and the children fall off in that. Oh, wow. And so we wonder why the church is failing. It's because men are refusing to step up. We're just, we aren't doing the things we're called to do. Vocations are not what they should be to the priesthood or anything else, but also the vocation to, to fatherhood, to, to being to marriage are not what they should either. Marriage itself has become uh, instead of an I do, what we'll see these days, right? Like, we'll try it out. If it doesn't work, we'll just we'll get rid of it. And so when men aren't standing up, things like this are allowed to happen. You know, things like this happen. And so the devil tries to, you know, attack the family and everything and, and to do all these things that, you know, I mean, look at men. All you got to do is, is put a woman in yoga pants walking by, and a lot of guys are off someplace they shouldn't be immediately, right? And and, and I don't mean to make that a laughing matter. It's just that's the way it is. Men are easy to tempt if we're not in the places we need to be, if we're not being strengthened by our brothers. And too many of us are out there trying to do it on our own because we've been told be a one-man army. Right. You're not a man if you can't right. handle your own stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So when we struggle in those ways, we're isolated, we're alone, we're not living the life that we're called to live. And we simply don't believe it. So I started to realize when God gave me an op- other opportunity and I saw those men who wanted the same thing, it, men that I it was going to these things and cooking barbecue with and that I thought I knew pretty well. Mm-hmm. We're all struggling with things I knew nothing about. And for so long in my life, I was like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Well, guess what? I'm not the only one. Right. Yeah. And with that knowledge, you can go, wow. And with men, it was like in that room, this tidal wave of just people taking a deep breath. They'd been holding their breath for years, right? And there's, oh. Like, I, I just, I've been wanting to tell someone the truth forever. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean, like, get on a parade float with a bullhorn and go tell everybody in town everything right. you want in your life. But to have a trusted place with brothers, and all of a sudden it gave us that com- common bond that, like, we're not the sum of our sins. We're not the sum of our failures. And we could be better. And there were so many women that were coming up to me and the other leaders and going, whatever you're doing in that room, please keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, my husband is different, and he's changing. And I saw all these men now that weren't ever at Mass with their wives at Mass again, and, and I thought, this is what the church needs. This is what the church needs. We need to get men back into their rightful place as leaders, and it's going to take convincing you know, men that, that they don't have to be what they've been, and our churches are meant to be field hospitals. right? Mm-hmm. Our parishes are meant to be places where, where the sick and the needy and the, and the hurting come, and I know what that's like first and foremost. Like I know what it's like. To, to be in that hell at each and every day and to not tell anybody because you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and you think everybody's going to leave you. And basically all of us are walking around in these prison cells with four walls made of our sins and our failures and our mistakes. And, and every time we go to reach for the door, the devil shows up and he pokes in those places of our wounds, right? And yeah. everybody's going to find out and they're going to leave you. And, and so we shut the door and we basically become our own, our own bailiff, our own jailer, right? We lock ourselves in and but when we when we have the courage to become vulnerable, being vulnerable means like the the, the root word the the Latin root of the word vulnerable is vulnus, which means wound. It literally means wound, and we're inviting God, the divine healer, to come and open up that wound, mm-hmm. so it doesn't fester and it doesn't infect the rest of us. And when He does that, 
it gives an opportunity for us for healing. And when the devil comes and shows up again, he goes, well, you're going to open that door. They're going to find out about your porn problem. They're going to find out about how much you drink. They're going to find out you're not the man you say you are. And you're able to, like, those wounds don't hurt anymore because Jesus has come in there and healed them. You've been vulnerable with him and with yourself and with others. And you can walk out that door and realize, like, man, that the devil tried to convince you forever that it was nothing but pain and torture and loss outside of that door. But it's, there's nothing there but peace and joy and mercy and hope and love. And so I was like, I, I want – Jesus Christ did something for me I could not do for myself. Mm-hmm. And I know that he can do that for every other person out there that wants it. But men especially struggle with that belief. And so we, we started to, to this podcast, and we started talking about the things we were talking about in our men's group. Like the first 50 episodes were about things that we wrote down we were all struggling with and talked about. I was like, if we're struggling with this, so must so many other people. Mm-hmm. And that's why the first 50 episodes are one word, like anger, pride, lust, is because that's what we were talking about in our group. And then over time, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to just be another speaker. I don't want to just go and travel and give a talk at a parish and collect a stipend and leave and wonder if anything changed. So Angela said that to me one time. She was like, you know, John, you're leaving a lot. And she's in full-time grad school. She works at St. Jude's Children's Hospital. She's a full-time mom. And she goes, if you leave, I want fruit that lasts. And that's what had been the desire of my heart, too. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord put St. Paul in my prayer. And I kept thinking, why is St. Paul? Why St. Paul? I got him on the statue here on my desk with me. But <laughs> Um, but he, I, I was like, well, maybe it's what he wrote. And I looked at that and nothing was standing out. And I was like, well, maybe it's not what he wrote. Maybe it's who he is. And St. Paul went out and established community where there was no community, he went and taught what he knew. And so that's what we started doing. I was like, I want to go build places and parishes and ministries for so long. We've flown at 40,000 feet and dropped off a DVD set or whatever and said, hope it helps. Mm-hmm. But if we don't go in and teach people how to fish, if we don't go in and give people steps and, and help them, then, then what are we doing? And so that's what I've tried to do now, and that's what we've incorporated is we go in, we do a three-talk parish mission, and then I've worked with men for months. And then we build a leadership team. We give a four-pillar structure and help them have four different nights where they meet a month of one night of fellowship, one night of formation, one night of service, and one night of um, worship. And they're living the wholeness of the faith, and they're doing it together. And that's what's different about what we're doing. I think why people are, 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 are coming to it looking for help. Hmm. You are here in the family room with John Edwards, Just a Guy in the Pew, and that is the name of his website. That's also the name of his podcast. And as he's saying today, when you go on his website, you'll also learn more about his ministry, which is building these men's ministries. John, you made it a point to say, look, this thing that we're doing, the transfiguration, you you do a lot of focus on men, but it's not just for men, right? Right. So if I go back up to one thing. And you can say, well, John, that doesn't tie in at all, so let's not talk about it. But sure, but I, I keep getting moved by the role that Angela played in this, because mm-hmm. we are, as men, called to be the leaders. There is an accountability and a responsibility on us, and, and we need to man up and and, and face that and, and all those things that you shared. But it is my sense that this could have gone a much different path or a much more difficult path if Angela had not said, I'm not going to let you do this alone. Yeah. But I want to make sure that we understand that we're, we're not going to pack sure. the place just with men because the a man absent a woman, a husband absent his wife is missing. That whole analogy that you gave of, uh, of the hands working together to form a bridge, I, I think is powerful. And I think it might be yeah, two sure, different cool. things. So, yeah, if you'll break it apart, because I think you've got the mission, sure, sure, sure. that's one thing. And then I think you've got men's ministry that's something okay, different. Right. Yeah, sure. 
That's yeah. Well, first of all, there's two heroes of that story, and I'm not one of them. It's Jesus and my wife, Angela. I'm just the, sw- uh, the, the swap that gets to share it and tell it, it with everybody. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the weeds and the wheat was, was Sunday, right? And, mm-hmm. and Angela, you know, those workers wanted to go out there and rip all the weeds out. And what did the master say? No, be patient. Like, mm-hmm. let them grow together until the harvest. And the thing is, like, we can be so quick to judge. We can be quick to condemn people in the worst moments of their life. And nobody deserves that, right? Nobody deserves that. We all have low moments. And Angela understood that. She loved her faith. She loved God. And she took her vows seriously. And she didn't give up on me. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that didn't have that chance, that didn't have the benefit of having somebody they were married to that with that level of faith. But I think it's a great lesson for all of us that, you know, we're the two become one flesh, right? It's, it's not, okay, you know, things got hard, so let me pack up and leave. Uh, she would be the first to say that, and she tells people that all the time. Was it hard? Yes. Did she suffer? Yes. Did she want to leave? Did she hate me? Yes, 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 to all of that. But through it, she was she was loyal to God, and God healed her heart and then allowed her and I to reconcile. And so, yes, like, and the thing is that with the mission you're talking about, the mission is for men and women and for young people too. I tell them to invite everybody because the things we talk about, it's called Restored Parish Mission. The first talk is my conversion story, and you'll get the whole thing. Because I want people to see, like, I don't care where you think you are. God can use you. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at St. Paul. We talked about him a minute ago. You think he didn't walk around thinking about what a what a scumbag loser he was? He killed people. Murder. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, I mean, yeah. imagine trying to go to, you're standing in front of thousands of people, and you're starting these communities, and you're trying to preach, and the devil's in your ear going, you're nothing more than a child murderer. You're nothing more than a murderer. You're nothing more than this. You, you know, God can't really love you. What are you doing this for? Right? And that's the same thing he does in our ear each and every day. The devil runs the same plays that he's run since the garden. God's mm-hmm. not who he says he is. You aren't who you say you are. Do what you want. Become your own God. That's, that's the devil's message. He has one play. He runs the same play in every one of our lives each and every day. And what? so as a mission, I, I give that first talk to say, look what you don't think God can use you. Look what he's doing in my life. And I want to give people hope through that. Two, the second talk is basically what I just talked about, restoring your identity, who you are, who you are, and what you're here for. Everybody's looking for purpose. You know, I'm, I'm 35 years old, for instance, and I've checked all the boxes. I went to school. I got a job. I make good money. I got married. I have everything. But there's no more boxes, and I'm not happy. And why am I not happy? And generally, it's because we're looking for it in the wrong things, right? We're, we're looking for the wrong things. We haven't truly given ourselves over to God. We don't believe that we are who he says we are. We don't believe we're beloved sons or daughters. And we all struggle with that. And we, when we don't understand who we are, then we don't understand that God is loving God. We see him as some cosmic police officer that's up there, you know, ready to, to jail us or to punish us when we finally kick the bucket. And that's not who God is. He's a loving father. And he, if he's loving, you're beloved, then that means that he had to create you for a reason and a purpose. And you exist right now for a reason. You're not some glob of molecules that just happens to be here. Like you're, you're here for a purpose. And then we go into that talk and looking at what that purpose is, what St. Paul says about it, what Jesus says about it, and how we can come to find the joy that we're looking for. And we go through spiritual warfare. We go through all of that stuff, like how to listen to the right voice in your life, how to tune out the wrong voice, how God talks to you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Not that you're a scumbag, you're a loser, you'll never, you won't. They're two different voices. Mm -hmm. we got to listen to the right one. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the final talk of the mission is the most important thing, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and yes, it's Catholic. Like, I know people go, that's a Protestant thing. (laughs) Well, yeah, but where do you think they got it from? 
right? Where do you think they got it from? From us. And it's most, and, and Jesus shows us in the sacraments and everything else his desire to really know us. Look, an atheist can write a book report on Jesus. He can know about Jesus. But if he doesn't, the difference is he doesn't truly know him. And honestly, I, I think most of the Christians in the world, a lot of the Christians in the world, don't have a real relationship with Jesus. If we did, it, the world would be a different place. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. And so we talk about that and how to come into a relationship with them and what that means and why it's important and how it gives you passion to then go out and do what God has asked each and every one of us to do, which is to bring people to him, mm-hmm. to grow in our knowledge of him. This isn't a me and Jesus thing where I don't go to church anymore and we do our little thing on Sunday morning. This is I get to know Jesus so he better can tell me who he is. I can understand better who I am, and then I can reinsert myself into the body of Christ to go and live the way that I'm called to live. So that's the mission, and that message speaks to everybody. Like, we all struggle with purpose. We all struggle with identity. We all struggle with shame. And we all believe we can't be used. But, my gosh, Jesus' favorite thing to do was to use sinners. Right? <laughs> like, all the great saints were great sinners, yeah. you know. And, and so that opportunity is there for us today. So I want people to understand that. And then we, have a, we break out and we have a men's training. And we go through, and I've worked with the men of this parish for months now. And they, we, we establish, okay, we're going to meet one night a month, the same night every week, the same time. We're going to do these four different things. And why the four things? Because I asked Jesus when we needed to change into more of a discipleship model in our group and quit just showing up and talking about how bad we were. We had to be better. And so I went to him in adoration and said, Lord, what's four things you did with your apostles? And he said, John, I formed them, I worship with them, I serve with them, and I fellowship with them. I think it's why everybody loves the chosen because you're mm-hmm. getting to see all of this lived out, <laughs> right? And so – and so what we do is we give men those four different things, and guess what? I'm a fisherman. I love to fish. It's like fishing with four different baits. When I go bass fishing, I take a, you know, a Texas rig with a worm. I take a, a, a rattle trap. I take a crankbait, a, you know, whatever else is out there, a jerkbait, because the bass are not always going to be biting the same thing. And we for so long in the church have said, we're going to have this one thing for men, and that's it. And if you enjoy it, come. If you don't, sorry. Well, Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors for a reason. If you don't like mint, mint chocolate ice cream and that's all they have, you're not going to go there. So now with this format, men can meet in four different ways a month, and the wholeness of a man is being spoken to. So there's going to be guys that will never walk into a formation room because they believe that there's a bunch of guys in their crown and talking about their feelings. I'm not good enough. They'll see through me. I don't know my faith. But they'll come throw an axe with you. They'll go and, and have a cookout at the Paris with you. They'll go to a ball game. Last night, me and my group, we met at a pizza place and had some beverages and pizza and just laughed and enjoyed and shared life. Next week, we'll show up in a room and we'll talk about formation. We'll talk about what it means to be a Catholic man. And we'll leave that place open for vulnerability where men can share about real things. Where's God in my mess? And we can lift each other up, support each other, and and continue to grow our relationship with Jesus and each other. Then worship, we show up and, and our two priests rotate. One does a healing holy hour. In a mass, a daily mass, and the other one does confession, adoration, and mass. So once a month, men are going to mass outside of, of Sunday. They're going to confession. They're going to all they're experiencing adoring the Lord. Service night, we go out and live our faith, right? We go to Catholic charities and box up food. We've gone to nursing homes and fed people, you know, fed ice cream and played trivia with people that have nobody to visit them. We've gone to children's homes and fed parents that can't leave. We've made 600 homeless care bags in the parish and had them blessed and handed them out to the homeless of Memphis. But going and and working and doing what God calls us to do together as brothers standing shoulder to shoulder. And then I think that's all of them. Yeah, and then fellowship is what it is. You go out and have a good time. But men are coming to these things. We just started a group in Jacksonville last week and just did a mission. And they followed all the steps. And they had a three-month schedule 
plan from the Monday after I left the, meet, the mission Saturday, this past Saturday. They had a meeting Monday night. They had over 60 men there. Wow. 60 men. Wow. They were showing up and sharing stories of where they've been and where they want to go and how they're tired of walking alone. And so this is what I want to do. I'm not trying to own it. They're not just a guy in the pew groups. You're not getting a DVD set for $99.99 for the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm not doing any of that, right? I'm just saying these don't exist. God's given me gifts and an and ability and a structure and a leadership model to go and establish. And I want to do that because when the men rise up, the women rise up, the children rise up, our parish had no women's group. It had no youth group. Now my wife, who's an introvert, started a women's group. She's got 35, 40 women meeting every Sunday. They use the same model, by the way, formation, worship, fellowship, and service, so it works for women too. And then we had no youth group. They hired a youth minister, and guess what? Kids go, Mom has something, Dad has something, I want something. Mm-hmm. And our parish transformed. And now it's not, hey, go there and have a good time, and oh, by the way, you can go to Mass. Now it's like, hey, there's Mass, and then here's everything else. Mm-hmm. Here's the other activities that will help you grow into your parish life, your parish family. And, to, and helps you become the people you're called to be. That's great. So that mission that you talked about the, that you're having here at Transfiguration, so that's August 11th and 12th. So on the 11th, that's the Friday night, and it run, It starts at 7 p.m., runs for a couple of hours, mm-hmm. and then it's half-day Saturday. So Saturday morning starts at 8.30. There will be child care provided. And again, it's for men, women, and everybody. That's so, great. Yeah, you know, so, this is for everybody. Yeah, so if anybody's a, you don't have to be a member of Transfiguration to go to it. I think it's pretty open to anybody, right? So you go to transfiguration.com um, here in Marietta, Georgia, if you want to go to that. Um, but obviously, if you're outside of Atlanta and you are listening to this and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, we would love to have that, if you guys go to um, justaguyinthepew.com, I'm sure you can reach out to John and his team, and he can come to your parish as well and give you mission and help you start one of these men's ministries. Yeah, and we continue to do it. We work with them after the parish, you know, after the mission as long as they need. My goal is to build fruit that lasts, and I don't care what name's on it. If they're using our stuff two years or whatever from now, I just want to look back in 10 years, five years, 15 years, whatever it is, and go, man, there's still a group of men meeting there and growing in their faith, and that parish is going to be better for it. Amen. Amen. So on, on that note, John, would you please um, close us in prayer? Yeah, sure. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Good and gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to speak about you and your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask you just to continue to cover this radio station, this program, Atlanta, and in this world with your love and your mercy, your grace and your hope. Father, I pray for transfiguration and for the parish mission and everything that we'll be doing there. Pray for all these listeners that they would come into the belief that you are who you say you are, that they are beloved sons and daughters, and they would come to know you in a more personal and intimate way so they can be revealed uh, what it is that you want in their life and they can go out and find the joy that you've promised and that you hope for us to have. Father, we love you. We thank you. Mother Mary, cover us in your in your mercy and in a hedge of protection and keep all the evil one from us. And St. Joseph, terror of demon, always stand at our side. Father, we thank you for this time and for all the time you give us each day. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. John Edwards, thank you so much for being with us. Listeners, thank you for joining us here in the family room. Please join us again here next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.